0: For me, relationships are about the remembering and the reforming of not only ourselves, um, but the, the fact that we are interdependent, that we do actually belong to one another and that when we remember that and when we lean into that, um, change and transformation happens in ways that brings about remarkable healing.
1: Hey, Miriam here, sitting down with Meta and Derek and Matt. Today, we're talking a little about divorce. I just watched the Mr. Rogers episode about divorce, and it is so tender. He describes it to all these kids sitting in front of him by saying, sometimes people get married, and after they get married, they're so unhappy being married that they decide it's a better idea not to be married anymore. And anytime somebody shares with me that they're separated or going through a divorce, I hear Mr. Rogers' voice in my head, and I just am called to this deep empathy for what it means to remember that you're allowed to be happy, that you're allowed to be yourself. As we're talking about public promises, you know, marriage is such a public promise, and It happens usually in the midst of a community, and a community is surrounding these two people as they make promises to each other and saying, hey, we're going to be with you. We're going to be on your team together and help you um, with life and uplift you in life. I know a couple, some friends of friends who made their divorce almost like a wedding. They they asked some of the same people who had surrounded them in their marriage vows to come surround them as they dissolved their marriage to say, we actually need you now, too. It just seems like the, the 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 start of that relationship is so public, right? Like, you get all your friends there, and you throw a party, and then the breaking up of it is, like, so secretive, almost. and Maybe not secretive is the right word, but it's just, it's so not public, like you know, all of a sudden, like, you just notice that they're not in the Facebook picture anymore. And sometimes you'll have that awkward conversation where you'll be like, oh, how's so-and-so doing? And then they give you the look, like, well, you know, actually. And it's just, that's got to be so hard. I just, I can't imagine that, you know? Well, and I wonder, too, about, um, as we think about promises being broken, about what other promises are being formed at the end of a relationship. Um, Promises to... Do things differently, or promises to look at yourself, or promises to be free from something that wasn't life-giving. Um, that that there are other promises being made, even as promises are ending. I'm Miriam Samuelson Roberts, and this week on Alter Guild. I sit down to talk with Rosella Ida white about promises made and promises broken, and about life after divorce. I met Rosella when she was working for the Lutheran Church and I was in seminary, and I have always looked up to her and appreciated the way she talks about authenticity and showing up in relationships. But her insights about relationships have been hard-earned and not without pain. Rosella has written and spoken about her divorce and how that influences how she thinks about relationships now. She's the owner of RHW Consulting, which stands for Restoring Hearts to Wholeness. And she works with people, especially women, to find healing and meaning in their lives. When she talks about why she does this work, she says it's because all of our hearts have been broken by relationships, by depression, by our circumstances, by the world, and they need to be healed. I talked to Rosella about her own experience of heartbreak and pain, and the new life and healing and resurrection that came after that.
0: So I'm both the child of someone who um, grew up in a home where my parents divorced, and then also someone whose first marriage ended in divorce. And um, both of those things have a significant impact on how I understand myself and relationships. They impact my faith and and how I also um, understand what it means to actually be in committed, covenanted relationship with another.
1: This concept of a covenanted relationship is something Rosella and I ended up talking a lot about. Covenant isn't a word that gets used much anymore outside the church. But in the Hebrew scriptures, which are also part of the Christian tradition that Rosella and I both belong to, covenant is one of the main themes. God is always making promises to be there for God's people. The Hebrew word for covenant occurs 284 times in the Hebrew Bible. 284 And it's often accompanied by the word everlasting. In other words, God says over and over again in these scriptures, You are my people, and my love for you is everlasting, eternal. So Rosella and I talked about covenant in terms of human relationships. I asked her about the promises, or the covenants she made when she got married, and what the process of those promises breaking down looked like.
0: I mean, to start with, a couple of, of, whether it be disclaimers or or truths that I recognize, I didn't make a covenant, right, with my my ex-husband. I was very much thinking about marriage as a commitment, as a contract, something that you can actually break, um, and that if a party doesn't do their part, then you have every right to walk away from it, right? So that was honestly my view of marriage. It was not a covenantal view which I think is something that I have definitely learned um, and come to terms with. So, and, and I think some of that, I mean, everything is connected to everything else. Right. So I, again, my biological father and my mom, they had me, um, they weren't married when they had me, but my, my dad um, was an addict and my mom left that relationship. And so kind of the, the fallout from that for me was this recognition that people leave, right. That like people actually don't stay. And that at any point, When something's not working even if it's not working and it's the the right choice for you to leave right you can leave you can you can move on from a situation um which i don't think is inherently bad um and honestly there are situations that people absolutely should leave right like i would never talk about covenantal relationships as it relates to a relationship that's not reciprocal a relationship that's abusive a relationship that's life-taking right i think covenants get thrown out (laughs) for those those are like automatic like no um but the other reality is, the flip side of that is that I also reckon, like felt like if something didn't feel the way that I wanted it to feel, then I can just leave. I can't, you know, explain any of the decisions he made in the marriage, right? Some that were harmful or hurtful. Only thing I can do is take, take the blame for what my part of it was. And it was definitely that, right? That I was not aware of who I was. I was not, um, open to the reality that, that I didn't have to make this decision. There were other opportunities or other ways to go about engaging in a relationship. Um, and I wasn't honest with myself and that, that led ultimately to, I think the, the breakdown.
1: Hmm. What was, what was your process of realizing that this wasn't the right decision and that it needed to change?
0: See, this is this is the confession time I remember sitting in the back of the church before we walked down the aisle and I was thinking to myself if this doesn't work I can I can just get a divorce right like that was my thought process on the day of my wedding and that's a problem <laughs> like, that's <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a red flag right and then from from then on out I started seeing the things that I had chosen to ignore right like the reality that we didn't necessarily... While there were some things that we valued in common, there were some, a lot of things that I became to realize were non-negotiables for me that my partner didn't necessarily value, right? Like I am someone who was like unapologetically committed to now self-awareness and growth and like holding myself accountable and doing the hard work of, of correcting, you know, past behaviors. My ex-husband wasn't interested in that. My ex-husband is older. Um, he's 14 years older than I am. And so- he was at a place in his life where he was fine. He did not necessarily want to change or be any different. He was clear about what he wanted. And um, I was the type of person that like was, I wanted more. I wanted things to be different. And so a part of the process of recognizing that was the recognition that we would have the same fights over and over again, but it would be triggered by different things. But the crux of it was the same. I felt like he was not doing enough. And he felt like I like never, like, like, his enough was never enough, so he constantly felt belittled and felt like I wasn't um, seeing him and accepting him as he was. And I constantly felt like he didn't value the things that I valued, right? Um, and then there there was a there was a moment when I just recognized that both of us were miserable. And this was after a change in location. This was after engaging in therapy, both individually and, and as a couple. This was after having some really hard conversations and, you know, me just saying to my ex-husband one day, like, you are miserable. And I don't think that this is what God intends for either of us, right? To, to have their our health impacted, like, I was going on high blood pressure medication at like twenty seven right like I had gained so much weight, my anxiety had peaked like there were all of these things that were physically manifesting themselves because of an emotional state of of not just discomfort discomfort but disconnection of disease um and I recognized that I didn't want to have that to be my story um you know, in spite of the fact that there was gonna be some some shame or some deep um disappointment in ending that relationship some anger even about ending it i recognized that my health and my well-being had to be prioritized um, particularly once it became clear that that this relationship wasn't going to work and it wasn't the relationship that either of us wanted
1: I want to talk a little about the disappointment and shame piece that you that you mentioned in ending it, both in your own soul and and your own experience. But as I think about the church, uh, the church is a complicated and many faceted place. But I I know and I and I see that there are real sometimes black and white and shame driven ways. Um, of thinking about marriage and relationship and commitment and covenant. Uh, And I'm curious if any of those external messages were hard or complicated or made the process of divorce more complicated for you um, from other Christians. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's interesting. I don't actually – I mean, my experience was that because I – was in a family where multiple people had been divorced or, you know, I'm from a religious tradition, a Christian tradition, where it wasn't really shaming. Like I didn't get messages of shame from my, my, my church, you know, writ large. What I got though, for my, my own self was this recognition that Jesus isn't clear about too many things in the Bible. (laughs) Like when I think about what Jesus says without a shadow of a doubt, there are a few things and one of those things is around divorce. And for me personally, that was something I had to reckon with, right? I am unapologetically a Jesus follower. I, I live in tension. I am able to, to hold kind of warring sides of things. But to be able to go back to scripture and to say like, oh, wait, Jesus was very clear about about divorce, the fact that we shouldn't do it, Right. Um, and I am a person of faith who is, a someone who preaches the gospel. And here I am doing that. Like that brought on its own amount of shame for me.
1: The piece about Jesus and scripture is really interesting to me, um, And I'm curious what you, how how would you rewrite that story? What do you need to hear from Jesus or what would you have needed to hear from Jesus in that moment that would have spoken to your soul and carried you and healed you instead of that piece of scripture? What, what did you need to hear?
0: I needed to hear that first and foremost, I'm a beloved child, right? Of God. Um, and secondly, that that we all make mistakes, that I have made a mistake, and that um, the mistake that you made does not define you, right? The decision that I made at the time was the best decision I knew to make, given all that I, I knew, given all that I had experienced, given my own broken heart, right? Um, that was the best decision in that moment. And that, that we are not defined by those moments of decision making, right? The only thing that that God desires of us and asks of us is to, to seek out healing, to seek out wholeness, and to make decisions differently in the future, right? And, and that I'm loved at the end of it, that I am deeply and thoroughly and passionately loved by this God who, who has modeled this covenantal way of being in relationship that only really God can do.
1: In my own experience, there are sort of three options that emerge from a broken relationship. And I mean any broken relationship, not just a romantic one. One, you can ignore it. The world gives us basically an endless supply of ways to numb our emotions and ignore our pain. A second option is to stay stuck in it, ruminating in anger or sadness or self-pity. Most of us have been there. On both counts. But the third option, and the one that is the longest journey and the hardest work, is to heal. Teilhard de Chardin, the French philosopher and Jesuit priest, says, trust in the long slow work of God and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. That's the work of healing, after being broken hearted, it feels anxious, it feels incomplete, and it feels like the long, slow work of God.
0: I mean, at first it felt like the valley of the shadow of death, for sure, right? Like, I think right after I separated from my ex-husband, he moved out. Um, there were multiple things that happened in my personal life. So not only the failing of my marriage, you know, I, and I consider that a failing of myself. Um, there was issues happening at the church that I was working at. My grandmother died in two months of that. Um, and my father was diagnosed with pulmonary disease all within, like that all happened within three months. Um, and I plunged into a deep depression, um, and was kind of off the radar for the next six months. And so at first it looked like a total losing of self. And, you know, it's funny, I've become a little bit more spiritualized in believing that, you know, there is something true to it. When we rely on God, we find ourselves, right? And so that first part was, I think the culmination of me having lost myself, right? The divorce wasn't the, the, the thing. Like everything leading up to the divorce was um, me losing myself, even the marriage. And then this notion that I found myself when I started to, to rely fully on God and that looked like relying on the community around me that showed God's grace and care um, that looked like you know this kind of the the sun rising after me having been in a a, a very deep foggy dark place um, and recognizing that God was saying hey forgive yourself Rosella because you have actually heaped more you know, burning coals on yourself than I would ever heap on you and be all in love with yourself.
1: Yeah, I hear language of trust too. And that's so interesting to me because that's one of the core things that's talked about when people make covenants with each other is trust. Um, But I hear you talking about trust with God and trust in God and trust in yourself as the most important covenants that you've made.
0: Absolutely, because I would say one of the things that I struggled with in in the first couple of years after my divorce, even in dating, it's like, I didn't trust myself to make good decisions because the decision I made was not a good decision. So it was like, I had to rebuild that trust of myself and then get to the place where I could say, no, we make the best decisions in a given moment, right? Like that, that at any season in life, I can't actually judge someone for the decision that they've made because I don't know their story. I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know the things that they're carrying. And so that, that absolutely was a part of this journey and is, is a part of this journey, trusting God and trusting myself.
1: As a result of regaining this trust in God and herself, Rosella has spent the last few years thinking intentionally about relationships and about these covenants or promises that we make with ourselves and with other people. Here's Rosella on the covenants she lives into now.
0: I find that I have so many life-giving covenantal relationships um, that also bring about healing and wholeness. Um, when I think about my women friendships, I have a tribe of, of women that are a part of my inner circle. and. Um, those relationships are absolutely covenantal. So when I talk about covenanting or covenantal relationships, I immediately go to stories of God in scripture, both in the the Jewish background or Jewish faith, and also in the Christian faith, as it relates to a God that keeps God's promise, regardless of what the people do or don't do, that I don't always do the things that I say I'm going to do. Like this God loves me. And that love is not just an emotion, right? It's, It's an embodied action that this this love is not this kind of flowery love that poets write of as much as it is love as verb, love as action, love as a giving up of something to be in relationship um, that is beneficial to both parties.
1: I found my conversation with Rosella so relatable to all the covenants we make and relatable to the broken or disappointing or heartbreaking relationships that so many of us have experienced in different parts of our lives. Out of her experience of moving from brokenness to belonging, Rosella gave me these insights, which I'll be thinking about for a while. When we start to heal from broken relationships, we're able to live in real embodied covenants. We're able to show up from one another And when we can take our own belovedness and value seriously, we can take the belovedness and value of another seriously.
0: Again, if the first or the most revolutionary relationship I'm in is the one that I'm in with myself, then I have to actually do the work of nurturing that relationship.
1: In other words, we need to do the long, slow work of being present to our own stuff so we can be in healthy and life-giving relationships with each other. And these covenantal relationships, where we each commit to owning our own pain and healing it, do in fact have the power to bring new life and transformation into the world. Alter Guild is hosted by Meta Herrick-Carlson, Matthew Ian Fleming, Miriam Samuelson-Roberts, and Derek Tronsgaard, with edits by Matt and Derek. You can visit our website at alterguild.org, that's A-L-T-E-R, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at slash alterguild. To listen to more episodes or to subscribe, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else fine podcasts are sold. And if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. And in the meantime, go in peace, listen, love, serve, and alter.